Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. This morning I want to take our text from 2 Timothy, the second chapter, the 15th verse. 2 Timothy, the second chapter, the 15th verse. A very famous scripture for those of you who have been in the ministry for quite some time let's read it says study uh-huh to show thyself approved unto god a workman that needeth not to be ashamed but rightly dividing the word of truth hallelujah Hallelujah. This text is so rich. So rich. That I believe the English language has not given it its due definition, its due place, its due purpose, its due potential because as all of you know or many of you should know by now that the Bible was written Old Testament was Hebrew New Testament was Greek and we see some Aramaic so you have three languages writing the Bible you have Hebrew you have Greek you have Aramaic you know that and almost all of us here know there was a diligent work to translate the Bible from these languages, which are higher dimensional languages. This I mean to say they are richer in expression, in grammar, in vocabulary, and otherwise, than English or your local language, uh, Luganda, from where you now try to interpret what God was saying in the text. So I've always emphasized that we will never have enough interpretation to express until we go back to the original text, which is the Hebrew and your Greek, to study the meaning. Because I've said before, Hebrew is about nine dimensions. Okay? Because languages can also be classified in dimensions. Greek is about fifth dimensional sixth around there so the work of somebody who has to interpret a ninth dimensional or sixth or seventh dimensional language and bring it I think Greek is about seven yeah for somebody to interpret a seventh dimensional language to come and make you understand what that language meant in your two-dimensional three-dimensional language and thought they have to either remove so much to bring meaning to the text 
or adds so much, they can't give it as it's translated because there's just no words sometimes to fit our local uh, two or three dimensional languages. Okay? That is why I can give you a simple word like the Greek word zoe. Zoe means, huh? You see? So in answering it in English, you gave me a sentence. You had to give me a sentence, the life of God, you see? But in Greek, he simply said zoe, three letters. But those three letters in translation of your language had to become a sentence. That means your language is of sort inferior to the language where I have to speak a few things and then mean much. You can go in Hebrew and find one word with 10, eight meanings. In African languages, it's rare to find one word meaning the same things, yet it's written the same way, right? It's one or two meanings at most. We never extend beyond that. We're usually one or two dimensional, see? So sometimes in interpretation of these scriptures, I tell preachers, we can never be accurate until we go back to the text, original text. That's why when I'm studying scripture, I want to go back to the Hebrew. I want to go back to the Greek and try to understand what this person meant. Now, as I'm taking this journey to help you study 2 Timothy chapter 2.15, as I go into them to give some reference to the Greek interpretation of the meaning of some of these words, you're going to see this simple scripture very differently from today, from the way you have been seeing it. Hallelujah. And the reason as to why we take that time to explain is to really carry the full counsel of what God is telling us in Scripture. Now, back to the word here. He says, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, to help us understand this text, you must really emphasize this thing called ashamed. Is giving us a proposition of appreciating that it's possible to say I am born again, try to do everything as the scriptures would require in your own understanding and find yourself in places of shame. Let me give you an example. There are things that should not happen to a Christian. Should not. Not may not. Should not. It's a definitive command. There are things that should not happen to a believer. Let me give you an example. A believer should not be poor. Tap your neighbor and tell him, Chitufu. A believer should not be poor. No believer should be poor. Now you could say, ah, me, I'm okay, even if I'm poor, as long as I have Jesus. But you shouldn't be. Because the scriptures tell us what Jesus did. And as far as Jesus is concerned, you shouldn't. I'm not talking about what the world has defined or what some of our fellow ministers have preached touching the wisdom of the world. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ 
that exchanged his wealth for your poverty still abounds until the end of ages. In every dispensation, there are people who will understand 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 9, that God, this God we serve, saw you poor, and he said you should not be poor. He didn't give you wealth, he gave you his wealth. He didn't give you some of his wealth, he gave you all his wealth. He was rich, yet for your sex became poor, that you through his poverty, now poverty becomes his, you might be rich. So you are rich, you should be rich, right? Now, if you live this life of speaking and confessing and you're doing everything the scriptures say, but you find yourself in a continuous cycle of poverty, year in, year out, you're lacking, you're wanting, you're begging, you're manipulating systems, you are that kind of individual that never comes out of this thing, okay? It's okay, for example, for a 28, a 29, 35-year-old to rent a very nice place. When you're 60 and you're still renting, 70 and you're still renting, it's reproach. It should not be so. But some of us find ourselves under those circumstances, to which I don't judge you because you're a victim of ages before maybe that we're not teaching the things that we are teaching. But now, God calls all of us to what? To repentance. You see, it's not befitting for a 70-year-old not to have anything on the earth. 60-year-old, and there is nothing inscribed with your name on the face of the earth. Nothing. Except the clothes you put on your body. You see what I'm saying? It's just not proper. Especially for those parents who know they must or want to leave an inheritance for their children. It's not a good experience. And then this person passes and they have to go into a rental apartment for a vigil. It's reproach. It's reproach. Call it anything but it's reproach. You see? There are many other aspects in our lives that could bring shame to us and the gospel we preach. Some of you, I think, have found yourselves in circumstances where they're saying, but you were a born-again Christian. Why haven't you changed this? Shame. Shame. God saw that if we did not know how to do certain things in Scripture, we're going to find ourselves in places of shame. The Bible says he will never let the righteous be put to shame. That's his way. God hates a shaming his believers. He says, he that believeth shall not be put to shame. And I pray that as I continue to share today, whatever shame you carry in your life, directly or indirectly, hidden or visible, I pray in the name of Jesus and may that shame be lifted this morning. May that shame be lifted this morning. May God do something to take that reproach off your life. I don't know how, but let him do it. 
because it's not of God to carry shame. So when he speaks of a worker that needeth not to be ashamed, it means that in the things of God, we can find ourselves ashamed. This scripture is very important. So what's the opposite of shame? Glory. You see? So if you're not ashamed, you are approved. If you're not ashamed, you are commended. If you're not ashamed, you are favored. If you're not ashamed, you're vindicated. Hallelujah. If you're not ashamed, you're endorsed. You're endorsed. I'm talking about that approval that God has placed on some people. Yes, you see some believers walking in life and you might ask yourself this ultimate question. Why is it that when I study the life of this woman, it's just upward and forward. Why is it that when I study the life of this young man, this brother, they're just progressive. The Bible says, so we know Jesus Christ of Nazareth, a man approved of God. And when he was approved of God, the Bible says he was among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did in the midst of you as you all yourselves know. The approval of God will birth the miraculous faculty in your life. The approval of God will have wonders and signs following you. That's what it means to be approved of God. So there are people who live and you can study their lives intently and affirm, this person is approved. Everything they do prospers. Their marriage is thriving. Their children are in the right schools. They're having the right grades. They are healthy in their body. Everything is working right. And some of you even in prayer, you tell God, but that person, Lord, I see their life is just perfect. What's wrong with mine? Things are appearing in their own time. Nothing is missing, nothing is wanting. If they go into some sort of trouble, it's only temporal, and they come out. It might take a few weeks, a few years, they come out. For you, like one man said, the kaleidoscope of shifting emotions. <laughs> you one trouble after another, and then you even start to look for scriptures that agree with your circumstances, that justify why you must be in some sort of trouble every day of your life. Far from you. Tell your neighbor, far from me. Are you following what I'm saying? So, here he's saying, there's something about study that approves us unto God and consequently helps us not to be ashamed. So ultimately the question is, what is this thing called study? Because when you read it from the English text, it would grossly be misrepresented to think he's saying, get books and learn and read. That's at least what the English says. When you read the word study, the English would mean, get your words, 
read the word, read the civil books, do this, study that, study about science, study about economics, study about geometry, study about this, study about that. That's what it would look like. And the English in representing it that way actually does not represent the right meaning of scripture. The Greek word here for study is spodazo, spodazo. And this is what spodazo means. Listen, to make haste. Spodazo means to exert oneself, to have an endeavor or to give diligence. This is what studying means. Not just to read. The Bible speaks of the consequence of just reading books. In the reading of many books, just tires. You're not going to understand everything. Ecclesiastes 12, 12. He says, And further by this my son be admonished of making many books, there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. So I'm not saying that it's wrong to study. I'm a student. I read every day of my life. Every day. Okay? But it's much deeper. This thing I'm trying to tell us is much deeper. Not everybody who is deeply read is a success. You agree? Not everybody who is deeply read has a working marriage. <laughs> has children raised in the way of the Spirit of the Lord. Not everybody who is deeply read is successful financially. And all these things are important things. Do not qualify one and disqualify one because it's not working in your life. You know, it's like, again, I repeat, I have found people who have failed to really face their own story, to say, you know what? Truthfully. I don't know how to do this, yet I need it. You understand? So somebody's family is struggling, let's say, um, with sickness. And instead of saying, how do I commend myself? How do I align myself to get this thing out of my house? They find ways of justifying whites in their house and whites not in another person's house and even build a glory around it that is actually shame. The Bible speaks of people whose glory is their shame. Somewhere in the scriptures. People whose glory is their shame. God made me this way such that he can bring glory to his name. And you look at the person like... <laughs> Uh, uh, no. Can a parent just twist their child to bring glory to themselves? It's just not the way of the Spirit. Philippians 3.19. He says, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame. I refuse to have a glory that comes with shame. That people can look and say, mm -mm. When I was growing up, we had a neighbor. There was a young boy there, childhood neighbor. So they had a, a house boy who used to help around. But sometimes he would also help in disciplining these boys because, man, they were wild. We were also wild, but some people were wilder than others. So those kids were wild. So. This young boy does something that was wrong 
that deserved punishment. If the parent was there, I'm sure they would have done the same as what the houseboy did. So they get this young kid and then he whoops him. Very hard strokes. So the boy starts crying. So I happened to come into their home and come to see one of the elder brothers, I think, one of them. And so I'm approaching and I hear this boy crying. And he's, I'm going to say it in Uganda, but I'll translate it in English. And you'll see how funny it is. They're beating him. He's crying vehemently. And he's like, Oshwak de Tebedumye. You understand? Now let me translate for my... The kid is saying, I'm not feeling pain. Show up on you. I don't feel pain. I swear I don't feel pain. Shame on you. Shame on you. I don't feel pain. Yeah. Glory in shame. <laughs> so if you're not feeling pain, why are you crying? Aha. <laughs> you see? If you celebrate your poverty, why do you continue raising your hands when there's a promotion is coming this year? Why don't you leave the hands down and say, no, Tebin no me. I'm talking to somebody. I'm talking to somebody. That's pride. And pride goes before a fall. In other words, eventually you're going to find yourself even in harder challenges because you're refusing to not only accept that there's an issue that must be fixed and humbling yourself to allow the mighty hand of God to intervene in your circumstance. Don't be that kind of person. Tell your neighbor, don't be that kind of person. That's called a haughty spirit, a proudful spirit. The Bible says it goes before a fall. It goes before a fall. It goes before a fall. Remember once there was this lady I knew who used to mark women. She used to mark fellow women. You know those young girls who mark others? Well, you know one of those girls who was really built well. You know the other people who are built well. It's like God had used the contractor on them, right? So, <laughs> so she was one of those people which were built well. And so, oh, things have I seen in my life. Now, this person, <laughs> she was one of those persons who used to occasionally and irresponsibly comment on other females. Someone passes and says, eh, that one, no mm -hmm. <laughs> which man can marry her. You know those people? And another one passes, mm. eh, now that one is crooked a bit. Hmm? She's always commenting on other ladies. But I will never forget a day she commented on somebody I knew very well. And she said the hard word I want to say. But it was like one year and a half from that comment, God teaches lessons. 
This young lady was found by a very wonderful man. Perfect fellow. And married her the way she was. Now, I kept waiting for this perfectly designed person whom God used the contractor on and the divide and the ruler. I observed the life. Up to today, they are not married. And they are past a certain age I want to talk about because women are very careful with age. Yeah, I'm like that. I say it as it is. I don't give a damn. I just put it there. We're trying to help some people. Who told her marriage was about the shape of a nose, the size of the eyes, height, weight? Who told her that was marriage? It wasn't. But at one point in life, she assumed she was a very boastful girl. You know, those really proud people who sometimes can greet when they want, if you're in their level. But life can humble. I lay hands on myself sometimes and I say, Apostle Grace, stay on the earth. Life can humble. This is to parents. Raise your kids right. Give them the confidence of the spirit. But the humility that comes with wisdom. To stay grounded. You're beautiful, but stay grounded. You're handsome, but stay grounded. You have great grades, but stay grounded. You are wonderful in many aspects, but stay grounded. Stay down to us. Stay approachable. Stay greetable. Stay relatable. These things are important. Because their children I look at and they are 12, they are 13, and I'm already worried what they'll look like at 22. You find a kid, the kid is 14, 13. You tell them, how are you? They don't even know how to greet an adult. I was greeting a very young boy there, not long ago. 12, 13, how are you? He's like... <laughs> it's one of those kids who come from a very rich family. So I think because he sees their parents look down on everybody, so he... he are you Apostle Grace? And you're like, <laughs> parents, I'm raising my child to know Leviticus 19.32, that when you meet somebody great and older than you, read it, rise before them and honor the face of somebody great. Or kneel before them and greet. My three-year-old knows how to greet. If you're around Mary, some of you have seen her even already kneeling before you. Because that's how we know. Some of you, your kid is permanent. You're positioning them in a place of distraction. It's only a matter of time. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how much money you have. Are you following what I'm saying? These things are important. 
So, spudazo means, like I said, to make haste, to exert oneself. And the word, the golden word here is called diligence. Diligence. Spudazo, I will liken it to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9, when Paul is speaking here, when he says in that ninth verse, he says, do thy diligence to come shortly. Now, the very word the Englishman used in Timothy as study, he should or could have used the word, do thy study to come shortly unto me. But the word really, spudazo, was diligence, haste, make haste. And why was Paul asking Timothy? Because at that point, Demas had forsaken him, having loved the present world and departed to Thessalonica. Crescens had gone to Galatia, Titus and to Dalmatia. He had remained only with one man called Luke. Mark was to be taken away, so he was stuck and he needed workers in a harvest that was demanding so much. And at that point, he tells his son, make haste to come. Hurry. Okay? Do you know what that means? Do you see the impression that, that God is trying to give us through this text? We're here trying to get a harvest. People saved. But we are less of workers. Three of my workers have gone. The factory must one. Make haste to come. Come quickly because every second you are away, we are losing. Now, if Paul tells Timothy, make haste. Take your diligence. Do thy diligence to come. It means... Do everything within your means to do this thing quickly, deliberately quickly. So what is diligence? And I wrote the definition here. It means to interestedly, listen to the word, interestedly, that means you are interested in a thing, and perseveringly, that means you are committed to carry through something with grit, and perseveringly, and attentive. Those are three words there. Interestingly and perseveringly attentive to a subject, to an application, to a pursuit. You are one, interested in the thing. Two, you are persevering as you are attentive. You are careful in the thing. You're very intentional in the thing. This is what it means. This word you call study. Spudazo. So when you go back to Timothy as he teaches this word, and he says, be interestingly and perseveringly attentive to show yourself and prove them to God. Do you see how deep this is? In other words, there are people in the world that bear the mark of approval, the ones I told you for whom things are working. They're advancing and advantaged in every aspect of life. They're approved. They, you can see they are approved of God. Nothing in their lives spells shame. Such people are interested or they do the things of God interestedly. They do the things of God perseveringly. They do the things of God carefully. They do the things of God with such intention, such precision, such carefulness to make sure that they get things right as they ought to. They attend 
to the things of God as first priority. He says, if you learn this simple secret, you will always go upward. You will bear the mark of approval on your life. You will bear the mark of endorsement on your life. And in fact, the literal definition here of approval is favor. You will move with the favor of God in such a way. I have studied my sons and daughters for a long while. Many of you, I know you personally. And I can tell, even in some of the areas, there's shame on your life. I can actually point to the places you have not been diligent. I can see. Even deeper, the God who created you, who sees those parts we are not able to see. But there are some people I can look at and I'm like, huh. Let me give you a simple example in the mind of God. Because you see, if you don't understand the ways of God, the ways of the Spirit, I just tell people, once you understand the seriousness of being in covenant with God, when you understand the patterns of, let me call them covenant practice, because when you become born again, you enter covenant. You must understand how the rules of engagement go. How this covenant is supposed to be run. The things that are clearly spelled by God on his part and are clearly spelled by God for your part. Anybody in covenant is very careful in the things of the spirit. It's not just a relationship that you have with God. It's a covenant that you have with God. Let me give you an example as a parent. Okay? Imagine you have two children. Son X and son Y. And you tell son Y, we're having visitors at 10 a.m. Make the house ready so that when the visitors come, the house is ready. You call them at 8 a.m. And truly, they obey you. But as the visitor is coming in, do, 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 they have done about 75% of the cleaning. It's sufficient for the guests to sit in the house. There's not much shame to your house. The visitor goes and then you realize something. Probably the visitor did not observe, but it was 70% of that work. It's son X. Then you have son Y. You tell them, at eight, in some instruction, we have a visitor coming at 10. They throw away everything and start cleaning attentively, attending to every area to make sure, ticking boxes, careful to make sure that they don't miss any strand. And they did that earlier to make sure they have time to redeem if there's any other unfinished work and they're persevering. They don't stop in the middle and say, ah, let me first answer this WhatsApp. Let me first answer this text. Oh, let me first take myself some ice cream and then come back and finish. They say, no, I'll take the ice cream after I finish. See? And then they are 10 and 10. By 9.30, they're done. 30 minutes of a breather. The visitor comes in, same thing as a visitor in the first story of Sun X doesn't notice anything out of order. But this one has done 100%. And then your son does it. We are in, you're out, you're in, you're out, you're in, you're out. And you start aging. As you start to grow older and older, and you need an heir, 
You need an administrator to handle your assets, your affairs when you're long gone. Who would you trust? Who do you endorse? Answer me. Son X or son Y? Why? Why? Because they interpret your heart. Let me show you where your heart was. Your heart was, you called them at eight. If your heart was indifferent, you'd have called at 9.45. But you're not the kind who would give chance to error. So you called two hours earlier. Are you following me, child of God? Such children are promoted. Now, notwithstanding, there might be prayer warriors. They might be intercessors. Sun X might be the kind who can spend six hours on a mountain. Maybe Y spends one hour. But when it comes to the obedience that is required, you will trust Sun Y. It's almost as though with God, those six hours might not make sense. Because better, the Bible says, to obey than giving the sacrifice of fools. The scripture speaks of the sacrifice of fools. You are sacrificing, but you are foolish. Your submissions and work in God carry some fallacy. Keep thy foot when you go in the house of God. Be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. Give me the amplified version. Maybe it will explain it better. He says, keep your foot. Give your mind to what you're doing. When you go as Jacob to sacred Bethel, to the house of God. For to draw near, listen, and hear, and obey. To draw, to hear, and to obey. To draw, to hear, and to obey is better than to give the sacrifice of fools. Carelessly, irreverently, too ignorant to know that they are doing evil. You pray all your 20 hours. But there are things that call you for diligence that you must know how to do. That's why some of you are like, but that woman doesn't pray like I pray. But she's prompt in the things of the Spirit. And you might not judge that because you don't know her private life. But anybody who's prompt in the things of the Spirit bears a mark of approval in a certain area of life. Does it, your Bible say, seest thou a man diligent? in his work. He says, that man shall stand before kings and shall not stand before mean men. Even the kind of people God attracts around you are defined. They're defined. You're a boss at your workplace and you have your juniors. And then there's this junior you tell, I want a report at nine. And before nine, they'll have the report on the table. And there's always one who has an excuse about why it's not working. Ah, the printer. Ah, electricity. Ah, traffic jam. Ah, this. There'll always be a reason. 
was talking to one of my daughters in love recently, and I told her, look, if you look at Fanero, being in a third world country, dusty roads, you know, having not, you know, come up in a certain order of things and under a certain umbrella, I mean, there are many factors that would dissuade us or disapprove us to do what we are doing. But we refuse to be victims and refuse to give excuse. We're not there, but we're doing our best to do something that the world should look at and admire. And now they take flights from the most beautiful streets to just come and see what is happening with the little our nation has. We're trying to do everything we can to make sure that even a chair in the service is straight. That I can look at one line and it's straight. All of that is diligence. Now these things in a way have a way they favor us spiritually. But a very short-sighted person does not know because they read study, not spodazmo. To be careful in the things of the spirit. If your senior or your supervisor or your man of God tells you, I need you at 1 p.m., be there at least 10 minutes to 1. Discipline yourself to know that you're not doing this for the man of God or your boss. You're studying. That's what it means to study. You see that the English now does it at this service? You're diligent in the things of the Spirit. You're diligent in the things of the Spirit. That's a man who bears the mark of approval. All of us are standing before the doors that we're standing before, and, and these doors are opening before us because of that mark we carry over our heads. And God has marked some people. There are people you look at and you will want to advantage, you will want to promote, you will want to add to, you will want to listen to, you will want to connect to because they are marked. And Paul says here, this comes by learning to know how to do things the way heaven wants them. Are you following what I'm saying? Be attentive in those small things. Pay attention to detail, even if you're in the security. Pay attention to detail. Sometimes I'm praying for people and I see somebody slain and they're rolling and they're kicking another person. I'm thinking, how do I see this up here? And then Asher standing there is in some other world. How am I able to see that that is not right, but they can't see it? Are you seeing what I'm saying? It's a constant exercising of the spirit to be careful even in the little things. To be careful even in the little things. And I will get my uh, people, Christian and the rest, and tell them, let's do this, let's do this, let's do this. Because there is a diligence there. These are the things that approve us. And somebody thinks they're just going to be on a prayer mountain, and I'm not saying it's wrong to go to a prayer mountain. But I'm telling you, your sacrifice should not come out of a foolish spirit. Okay, you have sought God. 
and he's going to give you a huge ministry. Wonderful. But he says, in this ministry, I will need you to carry some fruit of the Holy Spirit. One of which is temperament, like to have self-control, to be long-suffering. Not to always be a man who carries temper. You're gentle in the spirit. I don't care how anointed you are, the people you're dealing with are flesh and blood. It might warrant or will warrant you to be gentle and long-suffering with some who take 10 years to understand. And somebody can't even think you need them, yet you actually don't need them. But it's in the responsibility of the position God has given you to be long-suffering because it is foolish to be this anointed and be entrusted with those many millions and still not know the simple wisdom to be patient with them. So you find a man of God who is hot-tempered. I've seen men of God who abuse you. You can stand here and abuse you, stupid you up, you know, and roll you. And they call it holy anger. No, it's not. It's not holy anger. It's a sacrifice of fools. There are many such things that I might take years to explain. But they all take us to the same thing. Diligence for the Christian is a command. Psalms 119 verses 4, you have commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. Diligently. Even when you're planning your day, how do you plan service? Some of you enter service anytime and there is no explanation for you coming late. Some have explanations and they're genuine. So I'm not judging everyone who comes in late. Perhaps there's somebody who came, they had a puncture that was beyond their control, but they somehow struggled and said, you know, let me go to pray. You see? Let me go to pray. I remember one time I was preaching somewhere. Young minister, about 40 people. And then Fanero had gotten its place, right? We were then about 5,000. So this young minister calls me in a conference. We are driving. I'm supposed to be on an altar at six. And then Jam holds us. We're around the golf course. Some of you know where the golf course is. And so I sit in jam, and I'm supposed to be on the pulpit at 6. It's about 5. We wait 5.30. And then I realize 6 p.m. will not find me on that altar. But I'm a man of God. I'm Apostle Grace. So I tell the guy driving, I tell him, you know what? Let me take a border. Apostle. Apostle. How can you take a border? Of course, there's this kind of part telling you, but uh, uh, they can wait also. I sought God. <laughs> Hallelujah. I, I so sought God. I, hey, Nasaba, Boba Limukuria Pizza. But I'm studied. I'm studied. You know what? I got out of that car, and I'm not saying this to boast, I'm teaching a young man a lesson. Sat on that border, 
Now, it's been long since I sat on borders. When you take so long to sit on a border, you think everything is going to knock you. You should have seen me. And this is amazing. There were four years in my earlier years of ministry. There were four years where I took a border border every day. Even my testimonies were on border borders. I survived the border border. It fell, the man fell the other side. There was no scratch on me. People were clapping. You know, when you are on border, your testimony is a border. And then the border border found a way by the grace of God. I reached on time. Like everything on my life was border 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 So, but I thank God for his goodness because in all of those four years, no scratch. Okay? But there were some accidents. Boom, boom. It's narrowly. Then you get a summon. So, it had been long since I sat on a border. This time when I sat on a border, everything looked like it was going to knock me. So if you saw me, I was like, please go slow. Boss, I'm going slow. Five fifty, about five fifty. I've entered. No people. What? And I'm not boasting. I'm trying to help you understand something. Five thousand members. I can still get on a border because when it comes to the covenant I have with God, if I should be on that altar at six, unless unavoidable, that border will have to come in. The Mercedes Benz will park because. I am nothing without him. Even with those Mercedes Benzes and Range Rovers, they are nothing if I don't have him. In the same period, one of my sons delayed, he was supposed to deliver a machine because that he was in Germany. He had just gotten a new car. So I prayed. He said, God, deliver my son. They stole it. <laughs> I told Thursday, I'd never heard of a car stolen in Fanero, but that one was stolen in Thursday. I said, Hallelujah. So, <laughs> so he comes and says, Papa, they've stolen my car. I was like, Hey, let's pray. But I was like, And you know, when they stole the car, the boy became diligent. So he matured later. Now God gave him a better car, but he knows. If you see him, even when I'm going to preach somewhere and he sees my car ahead, you'll see his car passing. <laughs> <laughs> he can't be let, you know. He can't be let. From then on, he has never been let. And for such a man, I know it's only a matter of time. God is just going to take him up and up and up and up and up. I don't have a reporting time at office. Not because I can't put it. But for the sake of your vows with God. If a man can wake up and be at 8 a.m. in the office, serving man. Discipline yourself to know the God you're serving. Come to office on time. You don't lose anything. But you position yourself for this approval. Are you following my sons and daughters? So those little small things, they can disqualify so much on your life and you'll keep praying and fasting. But diligence has its reward because it comes with conviction and there's never been a conviction without a process 
that tries your commitment and faithfulness to the things of God. Put God first. Be late for a dinner. Don't be late for the things of God. Tell him, God, I was on time. Because in heaven, these are the things that matter. Hallelujah, somebody. Let me give you one last thought. Now, when you go down, and this is now for some of you, this is now for ministers. Now, when you study this word, rightly dividing the word of God. Again, you see the scriptures in English. Again, don't give the service of the original interpretation. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Study, spodazo, to show yourself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. The word there is ototomeo, dividing. Ototomeo. Ototomeo means to cut a straight road in a place where there's been no road. Imagine you want to have a road that's uh, going to lead you to a certain place. Now this is simple by all laws of geometry that the shortest distance between point A to point B is a straight line. Did you study that? Yeah. So I have realized and this is for ministers, just food for thought, that to cut straight ways to cut straight ways. It means it's the art and wisdom by the grace of God that is given a student of the word or a minister of the word to know how to help people or even themselves find shortcuts in the word of truth. The wisdom to help you do in a short time what others do in a long time. You know, people say, in the gospel, there are no shortcuts. Oh, yes, they are. And the shortcuts are linear. Once you know, okay, look at this journey of a man. Let's look at me here. I want to go to that speaker, that corner, right? And then I go like this. But I'm going. You're even saying I'm progressing. Some of you are even singing. Okay, so I'm going, right? Have I reached? So it's enough to say that you've arrived, right? But there's another man in the same breath who they'll say, go to that speaker and he'll just, right? So it means the first one will waste a lot of time. The second one will do it quicker. So they are shortcuts, but they are linear. They are straight. So when the Bible says, I think in Isaiah, it says, I'll make the crooked spaces straight. You understand? The meanderings that you should have found in your journey going through valleys and molehills. I'll create a straight path for you such that you march straight. Hallelujah. Every mountain and molehill is made low and the crooked is made straight and the rough plains are made plain. This is to the end that a man has a shortcut, that things happen quicker for you. That reality is existent in truth and only men with the right eyes can see this. It took the Spirit of God for me to see that as well. But whatever is short in the Spirit, 
must be straight. This is what it means to divide the word. Did you get it? If the children of Israel were crossing the Red Sea, you cannot find that Moses would have put this rod and they are crooked. No, it should have been straight because that's just how God works. So if you say, I'm a straight person, it means you're fast. You get it? Now, for people who want to study, those of you who, the sons and daughters, who might not be ministers, but you are deep students of the word, go and study this deeper because one day I'll have time to explain it, but go and study this deeper. Study this thing called accurately dividing. Creating straight parts where there are no parts. That means you are exploring territories that have not been explored before, but in exploring them, you are actually, by the grace of God, creating paths for men, straight paths and quicker means for them to get where they're supposed to go. That's very deep. Very few people have understood that, but I thought I should touch it for some of you. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. Come on, put up your hands right now and I pray for you. Celebrate and thank God for his word. Receive it. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every man and woman who has learned or heard whatever has been taught tonight. It can only take your grace, your strength, your wisdom to help us circumnavigate through this walk of salvation and the life that we have in you. So I pray for every person listening to me and may God give you the grace to be careful, to be diligent in the things of the Spirit. And may everybody here at the sound of my voice bear the mark of being approved of God. And by that, you will never be ashamed. In Jesus' name, I've prayed and believed. No sense said. Come on, celebrate Jesus. Celebrate Jesus. If you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to give you an open invitation. This is the thing we don't get ashamed about. This is the thing you don't do uh, because you've tried to look around to see nobody's watching you. We are not ashamed of the gospel because this is eternal life. So if you're here and you want to give your life to Jesus, repeat this as after me. Say, Lord Jesus, say, I thank you because you died for my sins and you were raised for my glory. Today, I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. Amen. This sermon has been brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number plus 256-200-999400 or email us at info at You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Follow us on our social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Fenero Ministries International. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at the Uma Upper Gardens from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. and for our Sunday services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. at the Uma Multipurpose Hall. Fenero, make manifest.